Yes, we certainly want to greet you in Jesus' name tonight and take this opportunity to bless this assembly, this Bible school, this time of refreshment in the words of the Lord. And for you young people and your parents and congregations that have made it possible for you to be here, and some of them might be sacrificing at home, taking care of things that you otherwise would be doing so that you can be here. May God bless those who are doing that and you who are willing to share this time of refreshment together. And we have not been able to beat all of you, but may God bless each one of you. And this uh, committee that works with this Bible school gave me a s list of messages they wanted us to bring in the evenings. And when I looked at those titles, I found out that they were designed in such a way as to help the spiritual life of this student body. That's what they were concerned about. And they were looking at issues there that might help us take steps forward where we might otherwise be having difficulty in our spiritual development. And they were concerned about that. And so it was very wisely selected, the, the, the messages they asked for, for these evening services. So I want to start off with a, a citation, a quote, a, uh, a few words I want you to think about as we get into this message this evening. I don't know if they've told you what the assignments were. I don't know if, they, if they've given you the list of what these messages are, but they asked for a message tonight on surrender. And it's very interesting because that word's not even found in the, in, in the Bible. But, but they wanted a message on surrender. But because the word surrender is not in our King James Version Bible does not mean that it's not a biblical subject. It is a very biblical subject. We'll try, we'll try to look at that before we get along here too far. But listen, to, here's the quote. That difficulty that hinders you in your daily life that thing that looks so unsurmountable and great to you and big to you and is a problem for you and a hindrance to you is not nearly so difficult and not nearly as serious and not, near, is not nearly as much a problem as our resistance to it. So you're driving to Bible school, you get to St. Louis. And so the lugs come loose on the wheel. And these things are about ready to fall off. This wheel's about ready to live. This thing's vibrating. You pull this car off the road, there's only two lugs left on there holding that wheel on there. And you're driving 65 miles an hour. And the, the cars coming towards you are not going any slower. And that's a problem. That's a difficulty that someone had coming, trying to come to this Bible school. So you had that problem. But that problem is not nearly as serious as what it would be if we would resist that problem. And we're fighting against it. And you, you don't let this happen to me. And you don't know who I am. And I'm not going to put up with this. And I'm going to Bible school and all stops are pulled out. And I'm not going to be hindered by this. And so you can fight it all day. But the lugs are loose. And the wheel's coming off. And you can't keep going with that car. But our resistance to it is what makes our is what takes our spiritual life down. And if for, for us to learn to not resist when the moment is difficult, that is a difficult lesson for all of us to learn. For all of us to learn. And what we're talking about, with that illustration, we're talking about surrender. 
We're talking about the difference in our lives, the difference in our behavior, the difference in our responses, the difference in our relationship with God, the difference that others see that live around us when they notice that this life is lived with a bowed heart and a surrendered life. It's just a big difference. So surrender. So I use that phrase, that introductory comment, not so much the problem that we face, it's not the wheel falling off, it's not the lungs that come loose, it's our resistance to it. I will not have it. You're not going to do this to me. And it's that resistance to it that makes the difficulty in the Christian life. And, and, and you're old enough. I don't know what the requirements are here, if there's an age requirement for those who attend this Bible Institute. I don't know what that is, but as I look here, I see people that are old enough to understand that life at times brings problems, and you have lived with parents long enough and lived with older siblings long enough, have lived with other people long enough to see the terrible response and reaction and results when we resist what we are completely incapable of changing. You can sit in that steering wheel and scream and holler all you want to, but those lugs are loose. And we got to do something about those wheels on that car. It's as simple as that. Surrender. Yes, surrender is not an easy subject. Surrender would, would more often look, as this world is concerned, and we heard that contrast tonight between the two kingdoms. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And there are two kingdoms there. And in this kingdom that is of this world, surrender is defeat. Surrender is failure. Surrender means I couldn't do it. Surrender means that someone got the best of me. Surrender means that someone was above me and, and proved his capability and I was unable to, mess, to, to muster up to it. I didn't have the capability to withstand and to conquer the person who came against me. And so he won. I lost. I surrendered. He was the victor. So he's the one that wins the prize, and I walk away with my head hanging down, and I'm defeated. That's how the world looks at surrender. The, that view of surrender is not found in our New Testament. That's the other kingdom's view of surrender. That's not our understanding of surrender. That's this world's view of surrender. And I think of what happened there at Appomattox Courthouse in the state of Virginia when U.S. Grant sat there with his fine blue uniform and his shiny sword and saw Robert E. Lee, the defeated Southern general of the Confederate States, sign that surrender of the Southern forces to the Union Army. And that was an unconditional surrender. And so, though his initials were U.S. Grant, he was from that Time forward called on conditional surrender grant. And Robert E. Lee was the one that lost. As far as this world is concerned, as far as that war was concerned. And he just did not have what he needed. He did not have the resources. He did not have the money. He did not have the equipment. He did not have the people. He, he was not able to win that war. He did not have. And though there were southern brigades of 20,000 men that defeated northern armies of over 60,000, which is hard to imagine how that would have been in hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. A group so small conquering one so large. But as it was, the, source, the, the numbers dwindled down 
and the funds were not there. And there was no supplies to make up the difference. And, and finally, Robert E. Lee cited the only way to save what little bit is left of our southern people is to surrender to the north. And I, I think he made a wise decision. But it looks like defeat. And if you're sitting in that car in St. Louis, Missouri, and trying to go to a Bible school in Clone, Iowa, and those wheels are falling off in the back, It'd be a very, very wise decision to bow your heart and say, well, dear God, I, I got as far as I can go, and I'm ready to turn this over to you. That's all I can do. And I will assure you that God begins to work in your life right there at that spot, at that moment. God begins to work right there. And up to that time, you were doing what you could do. And from that moment on, God is in the picture and will do what he can do. And I found in life that it's perfectly safe to trust your life to someone who can do what you cannot do, who can do for me what I cannot do. It's perfectly safe and perfectly right and perfectly reasonable. It's a wise thing to do to turn your life over to that one. Now I just want to say a few things here. Again, this is by introduction. This idea of surrender. I told you the word is not in the New Testament here of our Bibles. At least I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in the strongest concordance. I don't think it's in there. But it is a word that is very, very biblical. It's found in Bible teaching. And Jesus was not teaching too very long when he was on this earth, then he said these words. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's in Matthew. When Luke wrote those same thoughts, he said, take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial, the denial of self, saying no to self. If you want an understanding of what it means to, to deny yourself, uh, this simple illustration might help you form this picture forever in your mind. I remember the first time I ever heard this. I've not forgotten it. I don't know why you would forget it if you'd hear it one time. We have Peter there outside the high priest's house. And it's, it's a cold night, maybe like tonight there's a fire there on the porch. He's, he's warming his hands around there along with some other people. Jesus is inside at the high priest's house, and he's being mistreated in there by what these priestly people over the Jewish nation are doing to him in there. And Peter's out here. And there's a young lady out here. And there's several other people out here in this porch, and they're asking Peter some questions. And three times, what did Peter do? He denied Christ. And what did he do when he denied Christ? Three times he said, I don't know him. Don't bug me. Don't bother me about him. Don't bring it up. I don't know who he is. And he got vehement about it. And resistant about it. And used some unlikely language as he vehemently said, I don't know who he is. And when he denied Jesus, that's what he did. When he denied him three times, he said, I don't know who it is. So what do you do when you deny yourself? Self rises up. Self 
is here reclamando. Self is here saying, give it to me. Self is saying, I deserve it. Self is saying, I will be served. Self is saying, you will take care of me. Self is saying, I, I'm going to have it my way. Self is saying, I won't put up with this. Self is saying, let me have what I want. Self is just saying that. And that's how self acts. That's how self behaves. That's what self says. And something within you that comes from the other world, that comes because you're of God. You and I are of God. We're not of this wicked world. The lies of wickedness. We're of God. And somebody rises up and says, that clamoring, selfish nature that wants this and wants that, I don't know the man. I don't know that selfish. I don't know that. I don't know that one. I'm not related to that one. I, I, I'm, I'm disassociated with that. I, I've done something to that. I've made a decision about that. I'm no longer involved with that. That's self-denial. That's denying self. That's saying no to self. I don't know it. And, and the Bible says, oh, oh, no man, anything. And the Bible says in Romans that we're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. We don't owe it anything. We're not debtors to it. We owe the flesh nothing. That's where surrender comes in. And so the, the word surrender is not there. You, you see it there. This, this rising up of self, this demand of self to get my own way. I don't owe you anything. That's a tremendous step forward in the spiritual life when we get there. And the spiritual life begins there. This walk with Christ begins there. Deny yourself. Then take up your cross and follow me. And imagine this, this shift. Imagine this transfer. Imagine this exchange of life. Exchanging self-life. And I don't know self. I don't owe self anything. We're not debtors to the flesh. King James Version says. To live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. And so we have that choice to make. And we make that choice. I don't know that man. That selfish clamor, that selfish cry, that selfish, prideful desire. I, I, I don't know him anything. And so remember that from Peter. Let Peter teach you. Let Peter teach how to deny self, self-denial. So we have that word in the Bible. It's, it's not surrender, but it's self-denial, and it certainly is there. And, and, and our Lord Jesus taught that so very, very clearly. It is in the Scripture. We have another phrase, another idea that is in the Scripture, although the word surrender might not be there. We have Jesus there out on the, 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 come to the Sea of Galilee, there are fishermen out there. And just so happens, the morning he gets to the shore, they fish during the night. As you learned when you were a little child in Sunday school, fished all night, but they caught no fishes. The thing was empty the boat and the nets. So it's morning. And Jesus said, uh, you put the nets over there and try it again. And this, this, this thing filled up with droves of fish. So they tried to get these fish on the boat. And when they finally got in there, Peter falls down in front of Jesus. He falls down and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That, that's in Luke 5. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
And Jesus said, Peter, follow me. I'll make you fisher of men. And if you read what comes next, it says this. And they, they forsook all and followed him. That's surrender. When you're, the hope of your gain is gone, and you have earned nothing all night, and you have nothing to sell to market the next morning, and, and the, uh, the cash you're going to take home to Mrs. Peter is absolutely zero, and there's going to be no groceries in the house today because we didn't earn anything all night. And now you have this catch of fish like you never could have expected. It's a miraculous thing. You never would have dreamed of such a financial benefit. And then, and then you walk away from it. And then you say, I, I will follow him. I, I'll, I'll let it go. And we've, we have that time and again in the Bible. Time and again in the New Testament record. This forsaking all. And you and I have not done that. We have all kinds of things. We have beautiful things. God has given us many things. But this, this in our hearts, our heart is set on none of it. Our heart holds it all just like this right here, with that hand wide open, nothing like that, all like this. It's all his, whenever he wants to. Whenever he wishes to. It's yours, Lord. And we don't make those decisions in life. That's the surrender we make. We allow him to decide that. If it's going to be this kind of a house or it's going to be a hut, a thatched roof or a ground floor, it doesn't matter. Running water or none. Get out of the hill to spring, bring it up in the bucket. It doesn't matter. Take a bath in the river. Wash your clothes in the creek. It doesn't matter. Forsake all. That's in the Bible. If surrender is not in the Bible, that's in the Bible. And there's a surrender there. Someone is doing something to themselves. Something has made a decision about who I am and what I expect of myself and what I think I owe me. Somebody's made a decision about that. And they decide to let that go. There's another word that's found in your Bible just about always in Romans chapter 6. And I don't, there's not a board here for me to draw on, or I would draw you a picture. And the picture is very, very easy. You can draw on your paper. Some of you girls are writing notes there. You can just write, draw this down there. You draw on your paper there, an upside-down triangle where the, where the point is at the bottom and the top is flat. So here we have this flat, and this thing is, this is, this thing is red and white. This thing is red and white that you're drawing in your notebook. And, and there are five letters written on, be, be, between this red border outside the white sign. It says Y-I-E-L-D. Yield. Yield yourself. Yield. What does that mean? Yield. What does that mean? All right, so you're pulling out onto the interstate highway, onto the on entrance ramp. And right coming up the, on the left side of your car, there, there's a Peterbilt tractor-trailer truck. He, he's going 65 miles an hour, and, and you just did not notice that. For some reason or other, you were thinking of your map or thinking of your cell phone or carrying a conversation with the person on the side, and you weren't hearing this roaring of this truck coming all of a sudden. You know what you did? You yielded. I will assure you, you yielded or you crashed. You just pulled over, and that was the end of that. 
There was no argument and no fuss, and you didn't, you, didn't just, you, you didn't holler up at the truck. Those big wheels going past you, you didn't holler at them and spit out some kind of epitaph against that truck. You yielded. He was bigger than you are. But how do you feel? You drivers coming to Clone Iowa to Bible school. How do you feel when you're driving down a state highway, going through a town? There are a few red lights along the way. And you're, the red light in front of you there is, is, uh, has just turned green, and it's quite a distance up there. And you, if you can just maintain that 42 miles an hour between here and there, you'll get through in that, red, in that green light before the thing turns again. When all of a sudden, out of a driveway here in front of you to the right, a car sputters out in front of you and just cannot get itself moving at all. And you slam on the brakes. And Mr. Putter Putter up front here makes it through that, red, that, that, that intersection on green. And when you get there, it's red. And in your heart, if you're a Christian, in your heart, if you learned what surrender is, in your heart, there was that sign. And you yield. It was the only right thing that you could do. You yield to it. And life is filled with those situations. And it's, 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 it's like this, that the child of God lives every day of his life with a continual yield sign in his eyesight. He sees that yield sign there. My responsibility is to yield. I will yield. Yield yourself to God. Yield yourself. And I will show you another place where that word is used, though it's translated differently in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Will you please turn there? It says here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that word, present your bodies there, is the same word in chapter 6, some four or more times, translated yield. That you yield your bodies. That you make that surrender. That you make that offering. That you place yourself on that altar. That you reckon yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God. That, that, that you mortify, therefore, the deeds which are upon the earth. That you bring that thing to death. You bring that thing to an end in your life. That you yield that. That's surrender. And the word surrender is not here, but this yielding. And where is your body? Look where it is there. Where are you in verse 1? Go to Mount Moriah and find out where you are. Follow Abraham and Isaac three days' journey to the top of that mountain. Find out where you are. Look at them as they collect the stones and put them together. Lay the firewood on the top. Where are you? Where am I? And this was voluntary. This was a choice we made on that altar. Living sacrifice. A yielded person. Yielded to God. Available to God. It's your last choice, God. It's your decision, Lord. And that's what we find here. Yielding to God. Present your bodies. So I'm, I'm doing this for you tonight, taking us this, this few moments 
tell people you realize that all those surrender is not in the Bible, this idea of yielding ourselves, of denying ourselves, of presenting ourselves to God, of forsaking our own self and saying no to this flesh that we have, that is a biblical teaching. It's, it's all through the message of our Lord Jesus. That's a message that's not too well understood by the churches around us today. And I want you and your committee of this Bible school wants us all to understand these thoughts very, very clearly. That's why I bring them tonight. Let's look at a, a, a military illustration. And the, the Bible uses that several times. The New Testament uses military illustrations to discuss spiritual values. And I know that we are non-resistant people and we have not enlisted in the uh, armed forces. But I just thought if we use this illustration tonight, it might help us to see it. We'll go back to 1 Kings chapter 20. Would you go back there in your Old Testament? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 here in 1 Kings 20. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. This, this is Ahab here, king of Samaria at this time. This is Ahab. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, and into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also, and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king... According to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time. And they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and for my gold. And I denied him not. I denied him nothing. Now back to verse 4. Here's a good Bible definition of surrender. When this king Ahab, wicked king of Samaria, wicked king of Israel, discovers that besieging his city are 33 kings with horses and chariots. 33 armies. And if I would want to make this graphic for you so that you wouldn't forget it right away, I could, since we're in the United States, I could say, the same as the president of this country and the armed forces of the Pentagon becoming consciously aware that the United States of America was surrounded by 33 Russias. And 33 Chinas. And 33 Irans. And can you imagine the, con the condition you would be in if you had that kind of world armament enlisted against you in that kind of a union, that kind of a confederacy? And so the Ahab does probably the only thing he's able to do at this point, and he says these words to Ben Hadad. My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. 
So I have five things that I want to say tonight about surrender. The first thing I want to say about surrender is that completely contrary to what we have here in these verses, completely contrary to what we see in this military illustration, the surrender that God asks for in your life and mine is voluntary. It's not compulsory. It's a voluntary surrender. We're not forced to do it. Ahab was forced to do it. In that case, President Trump would be forced to do it. If that would be the case tonight, there is no way. He'd be forced to do it. The, the, the sides that was against us, the superiority of the opposing forces, defy any attempt on my part just to rise up and say, I, I think I'll accept the challenge and take this on. My Lord, O King, according to thy word, I am thine and all that I have. That's absolute surrender. That's, but it wasn't voluntary. But in my case, it must be voluntary. And God does not come and say, you've got to do it. Jesus could have kept every one of those fish in the bottom of the sea. And if he would have caught all those fish, those nets could have been ripped to shreds and the fish would have gone to freedom and they would have brought up a bunch of strands and broken ropes and nothing more. And Jesus allowed them to have that whole catch of fish. The boats are filled. The customers are waiting in line to buy fish in the morning with their buckets and baskets. Peter, are you willing to follow me? That decision was voluntary. Peter had to decide whether he could do that or not. It's not because his daddy did it. It wasn't because that's the church he was raised in. It was a voluntary decision. I, I, will, I, will, I will leave this all that I have. I, I am thine, O Lord the King, I am thine and all that I have. Voluntary decision. And being voluntary makes it very, very different. And it's effective in another way. Voluntary. And you can fight when those wheels fall off, when those lugs fall off that back tire. You can fight about the, the wheel. You can fight about that. Or you can voluntarily surrender. It's when the voluntary surrender happens that, that God takes over from there. I give you many examples of that in the Bible. We won't take time tonight for that, but we can give you many examples. She's over there in the land of Moab. And when there's no bread in effort, there's bread here. And when Elimelech and his two sons and, his, and their mother comes over here to, 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 to work and to find, work, to find an opportunity to save their family, they come to Moab. And now there are three funerals. Now the mother-in-law decides she's going to go back home. And now there are two girls, their daughters-in-law, beside their mother-in-law. Their names are Orpha and Ruth. And the mother-in-law says, go back home. The gods, the opportunities. I have no sons. Boyfriends are over here. They're not over here. Your language, your customs, uh, your, your, your culture. Go back, go back home. And there goes Orpha. Look at her. There she goes. She's going back there. That's the last word, Orpha, in the Bible. There goes Orpha. She's done. She made her choice. There it was. And so we see her going, and Naomi says to Ruth, Look here. What are you doing? There she goes. Ruth says, No. Your God, my God, your people, my people, 
where you live. I want to live where you die. I want to be buried. Don't, 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 don't let ask me. It was voluntary. She didn't have to do it. A new land, a new custom, a new language, a new religion. She, she, she goes over there where she knows nobody. She, she leaves a land of plenty and goes over here as a poor little girl. It's begun to pick up pieces of grain that someone dropped as they were harvesting. Like a slave girl. Today she'd be on food stamps. And she's out there picking up this trigo, so she gave it to her mother-in-law. And she's doing it voluntarily. But guess what? She had no idea in whose field she was harvesting. She had no idea that somebody was watching. She had no idea that the God of heaven heard, saw that voluntary surrender, that voluntary commitment. She had no idea what the God of heaven was doing with her life. God takes over when we surrender. And how many more examples do we want? That's the way it always is. It's a voluntary surrender. God looks for that voluntarism in your life and in my life. And this was not voluntary here in this chapter 20 of 1 Kings. Surrender. When the conflict with God is over, when I lay down my arms and I, what God says about it is what I choose to believe about it. And I choose for my life what God has chosen. And I don't believe that the God of heaven is out making things difficult for you. I don't think he's trying to make things difficult for me. I don't think the God of heaven is out just trying to uh, press us into some kind of impossible circumstance so we can not move anymore and we just simply have to give up. And depriving us and robbing us and taking away our health and destroying things for us until we finally give in. That, that's not the God we know. I could, I could tell you this story. And we had an earthquake in there in Costa Rica in 2009, in the month of January. It was a devastating time in our congregational community. And uh, earthquakes are, if you've never experienced it, you know, it's hard for me to describe what it's like if you've never been there, if you've never seen one and never felt that thing happening. And so as a result of this earthquake, there was no electricity. The water lines were broken. So the people in the village had no water because the water comes down from a spring in the mountain and all those were split apart because under the ground, the ground is shaking, rocks are moving, and plastic pipes break. So that means if you have a dairy farm, there's no water for the cows. No electricity to run the milkers. And so everything's messed up. So we have to find a way to fix this, to do that. Pipes t torn around, block tank danced across the floor and twisted, breaks the pipes off that give the freon and cool that milk in there and the pipes and the cracks in the floor and all that goes on with that. And now we're trying to run a dairy farm. And somebody in the midst of all that confusion made a terrible mistake. And here in the feed room with all the feed bags are stacked there on a pallet, a backpack sprayer that had a medicine in there that's used to spray the worms that burrow under the cow there. And, uh, and those worms form, get about an inch, they have two inches long, and you have to kill those things. Those parasites are damaging the cow in tropical climates. This medicine is very, very potent. And this backpack sprayer with that 
medicine in it, that poison in it, fell down on the ground and broke. And this side, feed bags fell over and fell down on top of it. So someone, and they're being anxious to get all this taken care of, and the chores and the tasks, grabbed the bag that was soaking wet with this poison, didn't think about it, put it out in the trough. 30 cows ate it. 26 of them got the part that was wet with the poison. Of those 26, cows began to die. Over a period of two weeks, 12 cows died. Sometimes two in one day, sometimes three in one day, sometimes one in a day, sometimes the next day, not none. Cows dying, cows dying. On one occasion, we had eight people there in the farm at night trying to give drenches to the cows, trying to give medicine, trying to irrigate their stomachs, trying to get this stuff cleaned out of the inside. One told me, uh, Dale, tomorrow morning there are going to be more dead ones here. We're trying, but there are going to be more dead ones tomorrow. And I, I could hardly handle it anymore because financially we couldn't, we couldn't handle one more death. We couldn't handle one more cow being lost. We just could not handle one more. And in my desperation, I went into the study and knelt down. And I was, I was exhausted. I was, I was, uh, I couldn't face this anymore. And in my desperation, I cried out to God and I said, just go ahead and kill all the cows. If that's what it's going to be, just go ahead and kill them all. And I can't tell you what happened next. I don't know how it happened. I can't explain this to you. All I know is that I heard this. Dale, I don't kill cows. I do not kill cows. Those cows died. Those cows had poison. Those cows should not have eaten that. Cows can't stand it when they eat that. Their, their liver burns up and turns black. And those cows died because they ate the wrong thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm hurting just like you're hurting. I feel it just like you feel it. It's as hard on me as it is on you. I don't kill cows. But I'm here if you need me. In a time like that, it's time to stop fighting, stop resisting, and surrender it to God. God is not against us. God is for us. God is on your side even when you're wrong. God is on your side even when you make mistakes. God is on your, our side, but we have to surrender. It's voluntary. It's a voluntary surrender. I'll say one another thing about this surrender. We, we, see, we see it here in this passage in 1 Kings 20. We see it in all the examples we use from so far from the New Testament. That surrender, the kind that changes our lives, the kind that makes life different for us from now on. That kind of surrender is absolute surrender. Or a, a, a word we've already used, unconditional surrender. What does that mean? It means that when we have unconditionally surrendered everything to God, it's like it says here. My Lord, 
O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. We take our hands off of all of it. It's all his at that point. When it's surrendered, it's all his. Now, in that Appomattox courthouse, when the Civil War was ended and Robert E. Lee signed that surrender, Ulysses S. Grant, the victorious general, looked at Robert E. Lee and said, we would like to allow your men to take all their horses along home. And if your men are living that have their horses still alive, you don't need to surrender those to us. You may take those along home. And that was, that was very kind of the general to, uh, though he was not necessarily a kind man and he drank the wrong kind of whiskey, he did a kind thing in offering those men to take their horses home to do the spring plowing and provide some transportation for those wives and for the little children. They could take their horses home. But an unconditional surrender, everything we have goes. And Robert E. Lee was prepared to surrender everything. And the man said, you may have that. And we come to Jesus, we surrender everything. But I found out many times that when Christ returns to us after that surrender, it's more than we ever gave to him. How many illustrations of that do we need tonight? It's unconditional. We, 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 don't, we don't have any reserves. We, have, we, we, we don't hold anything back. We don't hold back part of the price. We don't do like Ananias and Sapphira did. They, they said, uh, yes, yes, we sold it for so much. And the rest was in the bank account. The rest was already safely deposited a CD. And they lied about it. And they wouldn't have had to do it. They could have, they could have said to God, they could have said to the church, they could have said to Peter and the rest of those apostles, that, that, listen, we, we got this much for the property, but we, we, we felt between us that we'd like to give this much to, to the church. It, it, is, is that okay? Is that, is that working? We'd like to make a contribution here. That would have been accepted. Peter still told them that, but they lied about it. They kept back part of the price. They reserved something for themselves. They wouldn't have had to do that, but they did that. It's an unconditional surrender. It's a total surrender. And you and I know, we have lived long enough, you and I know what it is in our lives that we hope that the church never talks about. You and I know why it is, excuse me tonight, you and I know why it is that we, that we bring a moving van in there and pack our goods and move to another church location because this one at home has gotten too close to sensitive areas in our lives and we're not going to surrender those things to anybody. That's my business that's my right. Other Christians are doing it. Plenty of churches have it. We're going to have it where we are. And so we, 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 we relocate. And then you're expecting spiritual blessing. Someone's expecting the power of God's going to be upon their lives. Someone's expecting that the children are going to be saved. The young people are going to be holy. There's going to be prayer and fervor and worship in this home when I am reserving for myself what godly brethren and concerned pastors felt was a serious issue in my life that should have been surrendered to God, and I refused to do it. Now, how do you predict that that's going to turn out? And you have seen it, haven't you? 
You've seen it who knows how many times, haven't you? Look at the homes, look at the results. What comes up within a very short number of years? Isn't it true? We refused. We held on. We wouldn't surrender. We said, I have the right. I think, listen, so so, so you know that we're not... Inconsiderate. We are pastors. We're not inconsiderate. I will give you the right to come to the church and say, I will invite you to come to the church and say, I will invite you to come to the brotherhood. I will invite you to come to the servant body of the congregation and say, Brother Dale, we, we know that the church is concerned about this, some things here, and, and, and there's reason why the church is, is, is dealing with these issues, and we understand that. But may, may I explain something that, that I've got going on in my life? I, I'd just like to tell you about it. I'd, I'd be willing to let you make the decision, let you judge the matter, but I just felt it may be good if I would just share with you how, we're, how Mother and I are facing it, our children, with, with this issue in our home. Could, could, could we talk about it? And the answer is yes. Let's, let's sit down and talk about that. Now, you, this might seem strange to you, and, and, and I'm not imposing this on you. I'm not imposing this on anybody here, but in our congregation, our brothers used, used beards. Uh, in our congregation, if the br- brother has a beard, he, ha- he lets his beard be there, and, and uh, he has that beard. That's what we do in our churches in Costa Rica. And we have a brother in our congregation who is an American Indian, And he has, and there's, there's, no, there's no beard there. He, he is not required to have one. You know, he, he doesn't need to go fabricate something. He, there's no need for it. He's an American Indian. And there's no problem. You understand? Does that, does that sound like there's a little bit of fairness there somewhere that's reasonable, maybe? And this, young, this, this father has a son. The father's son was not a member of our congregation. He came to see me one evening and said, Brother Dale, I'm not a member of the church here, but I, for years, have wanted to be. I am not, but I want to be. I really want to be. He was there for four hours, from 6 o'clock to 10. And he said, I, I've tried to study what the positions of the congregation are, the brotherhood agreements, and, and uh, I think I understand them fairly well. I think I understand everything but, but I thought I'd like to discuss something with you. Yes, uh, God bless you. Just, just feel free. What, what, you surely must be thinking about something. I, I'd be glad to know how you're feeling. Well, I hardly have any fair hair on my face. And what I have looks almost ugly. It, it's just like a mess. And, and I would feel very, very unkempt. I would feel very out of place. And I would not want to look inappropriate. But, but the congregation has this position, and Brother Dale, I want to be part of the church. And if, if the congregation says that I, I'm, I'm just going to have to do, put up with what little bit I've got here and how it turns out and what it looks like, I, I'm willing to do it, Brother Dale, but, but, but I just wanted to present that and see what you would say. If the church says, yes, you, 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 you do what you, what you can do. Then, then I will do it. 
I said, well, thank you, young man. I said, I'd like to take that to the congregation. Would you give me time to present it to the brothers? And we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but I went, before I go any further, do, do, you, do you sense the surrender in his life? Did you sense that? Did you, did you notice there was surrender there? Did you notice that? So we took it to the brothers. How, how do you think those brothers responded? If he, is, if he can support our position, if he feels it's okay for those brothers that can do that and, and they have the, the beard there, they, they, they can have that and he supports them, is glad for them in that, we don't feel that we should ask him to, to, to try to present something that's not, not very presentable. We, we'll we'll, take, we'll let, let him take care of that and we're, we're fine with that. And that was unanimous. Every brother and sister was agreed to that. But that attitude, we come with that attitude. And I'm not, I'm not imposing that on you. I, I, that's not why I gave that illustration. You're, you're clear on that, aren't you? I, that's not the reason I gave that. It's just something that actually happened with us. But everything is surrendered. It's unconditionally done. We give our lives. We allow the church to speak into our life. We allow the state policemen to speak into our lives. We allow the grade A milk inspector to speak into our lives. We, we allow the IRS to speak into our lives. We allow those who have authority to give direction to us and we yield to that and su submit to that and our attitude is of surrender and of resignation to what they have. But I want to hasten on. The surrender that Christ asks of our lives is very, very reasonable. It's a reasonable surrender. I want to show that to you. If you go back to chapter 12 of Romans, would you go back there? We were there. Go back there. I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a reasonable thing to do. It's razonable, like we would say in Spanish. It's logical. The, 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 the Greek word here for reasonable is loikos, which is logical. It's where we got our word logic. It, it means if you would use your head, if you would think through it, if you put this thing up to a, to a mathematical equation, if you put it on the blackboard with a, with, with a, and look at it mathematically, you would say it is the most reasonable thing to have done to voluntarily, completely surrender yourself to God. It is the most reasonable thing you could do. It is the right thing to do and the logical thing to do. And it's interesting to me that the Greek uses the word logic there. It is your reasonable service. And it's acceptable, verse 2. Look at it. It's acceptable and perfect. How can you be more perfect than to yield it to God? How can you be more perfect to give God the last word in the matter? How can you be more perfect than saying, My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Can you tell me anything more reasonable than that? 
And I must help you understand why it is reasonable. It's reasonable because that's the way Christ did it. It's reasonable because that's the only example he gave us. It's reasonable because you cannot see any time in Christ's life when he fought and demanded his own prerogatives and his own preferences and his own well-being, his own, his own gustos, like we say in our language. Looking out for his own interests, he never did. And when you find him in his moments of uh, solitude with God, wherever those moments happen to be, you'll hear him say something like this. Not my will, but, but thine be done. And, and, and the father never forsook the son. The father never denied the son. The father never let's say it like this. He that believeth in me shall not be confounded. That, 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 that decision to yield to God is so reasonable that what God does with your offering at that time in life is, is, is the most glorious thing that could have been done with that thing that you surrendered to God. Can, can, can you imagine this, this, this situation, this matter in your hand that we've talked about several illustrations tonight, so we don't need to give them any more. But if you think about those things that you face in life, and I do daily in our lives, and they're, 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 they are health issues, and they are financial issues, and they are situations that come up in the congregation, and they're all around us all the time, and they happen in school, and they happen everywhere. And we're challenged with it. And can you imagine taking that very difficult thing that we're facing and yielding that to the hand of God, to God's will, to God's prerogative, to God's glory, to God's enablement, to God's divine wisdom and omnipotence. And then compare how it would have been if you would have successfully somehow hung on to this thing and, and, and brought it about as you wanted to do it. And this illustration has been used before. If you've not heard it, you need to hear it. But five loaves and two fishes in somebody's lunchbox will provide him for a lunch at noontime. But five loaves and two fishes surrendered to God. Think about it, dear people. Five loaves and two fishes surrendered to our Lord Jesus. You make the decision. You do the math. I'll give, another, I'll give another illustration. We have this little shepherd boy. He's got five little stones in his bag. He's got a sling. He's coming, out, he's coming down across this valley from the encampment of the Israelites. And coming down in this valley, there's a big paladin down here, standing some nine feet tall. This big giant. He's got an armor bearer out front there. And David's coming, kind of springing and kind of running up towards him. And Goliath says, guess what we got here? <laughs> look, look what's coming here. <laughs> yeah, we, we, got, we, got, we, we have fun and games around here. We, we got... Wait a minute, Goliath. I've got some advice for you, Goliath. Goliath, pull that sword out of your sheath. And walk over to David 
Say, come here, son. This is yours. Take that by the handle. David, I want you to have it. It's worth far more in your hand than every worth in mine. David, I'd like to do one more thing. May I be on your side? David, go, 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 go on ahead. I'll, I'll walk behind you. I'll come behind you. Take that sword. Here's a javelin. David, it's, it's worth far more if you've got it than what it is if I have it. True or not? True or not? And how about if we give it to God? I just want you to think about the things you struggle with. Think about the things that maybe even this day of Bible school were a difficulty for you. And take that very thing and instead of trying some way to manipulate this thing to my favor and to my advantage, it's surrender to God. It's a reasonable thing to do. It's the only wise thing to do. What's God going to do when it's in his hand? It's reasonable because what we choose to keep for ourselves, we will lose anyway. This world's going to perish. What I choose to keep, I do not keep. And you heard that quote ever since you're very small. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You've heard that from James Eliot. It's reasonable because all that we give to Christ is worth far more in his hands than was in mine. You know, the thing that I keep that I should not have, the thing that I keep that's destroying me, the thing that I keep that I, I'm not willing to surrender, the thing that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to yield, that, that, that habit... That secret use of that technology there that no one else has really found out about, but I know very much about it. I keep it. I'm not going to repent of it. I'm not going to expose it. I'm not going to go to my parents and show them what I'm doing. I'm not going to talk to my wife about it. I'm not going to let my pastors find out. I'm not going to yield this thing that I, I, this, this is my personal little project. It's reasonable to yield it tonight because it's destroying your life. It's destroying my life. We can't keep it. It's robbery against God. It's a sin against the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. So the rich young ruler, he, he didn't yield it. The rich young ruler did not surrender it. The rich young ruler decided, I amassed this. I calculated it. I masterminded it. I've got the capacity to do it. I can manage this thing. This is my own empire. And, and Christ allowed that. And Christ didn't take it from him. And, and Christ didn't... Uh, he loved him. Beholding him loved him. But he saw that young man walk away sorrowful. And, 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 what, and what did he gain? It was, it was not a reasonable choice. It was not a reasonable decision. And there, there are four rich men in the book of Luke... And this man was one. And there were four rich men in the book of Luke, and only one of them made a wise decision. Only one of them turned out right. Only one of them learned surrender. Only one of them did the reasonable thing. Only one of them. And he said, where, where I have 
cheated somebody. I want to take care of that four, four times. I want to do that fourfold. I want to return that four times. I, I, want, I want to be clear in this matter. I, I don't want any of this to stand against me. I, to the extent that I can do this, I want to return all of that. And that day, salvation came to this house. It's a reasonable thing to do. You can put your own illustrations in there. The Bible's full of them. You can put your own illustrations from your own life, but my life in there, it's a reasonable thing to do. And then I want to say, That it's the worshipful thing to do. Now, why do I say that? It's worship, your reasonable service. In the Greek language, that means it is your logical, it is your reasonable worship. That is the way you worship, by presenting yourself a living sacrifice to God, by, by taking your hands off of it and letting you have complete control of all that you are and have. My Lord the King, as thou sayest. It's worship. It's true worship. It's the worship that glorifies the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. When we exchange my selfish life, my look seeking for my own, and, and the Bible says that love does not do that, seeketh not her own. Love doesn't do that. Seeketh her own. Every man seeketh his own welfare. It tells us there in Corinthians. But instead of that, there's another life. We want another life. We want a higher life. We're looking for another kind of life. We're, we're part of another kingdom. Roving ourselves to another. We're exchanging this for something far greater. It's worship. Philippians chapter 2. Would you please turn there? And I'd like to teach you a word here. This won't take very long, but I want to show this to you. We have the mind of Christ here in verse 5. Every one of us should have the same mind that tells us here. There should be no vainglory in verse 3. There should be no strife here. But rather there should be a lowliness of mind. That means surrender. Where we can esteem others better than ourselves. Verse 3. We just don't look on our own things. That's, there's no surrender there. But every man also the things of others, there's surrender there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There is surrender there. Who being in the form of God, thought it not a thing to be grasped or held unto. Aferrado to. Which means you, you, you grab a hold of it and you hold it like that. And I always told you tonight it should be this way. And not this way, but this way. And what says there, robbery is talking about... Taking, taking your hands and grabbing a hold of it and holding on to it tight. And Jesus would not do that. He was in the glory of his Father. He was the express image of his person. He was the logos of eternity. And he could have said, no, no, Dad. But he was born of a virgin. He took upon himself the form of a person. He left go of it. He left go of it. Look what it says. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made like to of men. That phrase in your Bible, made himself of no reputation, is just one word in Greek. The word is kenosis. 
In Spanish it says, se despojó de sí mismo. If I have a bucket here, I would illustrate this for you. But I don't have a bucket. But this is the life of Christ, this container here. And inside this life, there are, th there are things. There are values. There are, there are qualities. There are opportunities. There are desires. It's all in here. There are plans we have for ourselves. There are things that we would call our own. There are things that we think we deserve. There, there are things that we think people would owe to us. It's all in here. And, the, and that word, kenosis, made himself of no reputation, means they took everything that was in here and emptied it all out. He completely emptied himself. Worship. And when it was all done, this, this, this was gone. And, and, and what does God do when we present this thing to him? Look here. And we present it to him like that. What does God do? Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. What does God do? God fills it. What does God do? God uses it. What does God do? Everything that I have in here that I shouldn't have in here. And it's going to damage me if I keep it. And I pour that out. Empties himself. Se despoja de sí mismo. Empties it out of himself. And then God comes. It's worship. The, the most beautiful result that comes when we do that. And that offering... An offering like that from your life, from my life, listen tonight. On the altar, a living sacrifice. Let me show you what happens there. And there it is. And there's the emptying. And there's the surrender. And, and, and there, there is that moment of life when there was just a complete collapse. And we fell on that heap and we said, I'm finished. God, I fight no more. I give you my heart. It's just all yours it's not what I would have chosen. It's not what I wanted to have. I had other plans for several years that this is what I was going to do when I turned 21. And it's yours, God. I take my hands away. You know what happens? The fire comes down from heaven and receives that sacrifice. And that odor of sweet incense rises up to God. It's worship. It's the most worshipful thing you can do. Not to say one more thing yet. How about this surrender? It'd be nice if we have five young ladies on this front bench, precious young girls, five of them sitting there. It'd be a wonderful thing if they could come up here tonight and kneel down here. And once and for all and forever have everything in their lives surrendered to God. And from this point on in life, no question. No struggle, no further decisions, all done tonight, right here. Lightning flash, fire falls, five girls. But this surrender is by faith. It's a walk with God. It's a condition of the heart. It's a yielded spirit. It's a willingness to hear God's voice. You're having a Bible Institute here. Ours just ended in Costa Rica a short time ago. 
And you know, the, the young ladies there, they, they like if their teacher would write a little note for them on, their, on the folder of their, 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 of, their, of their Bible school brochures and notes and outlines. They've got us all in a nice folder there and a notebook, and they'd like if the teacher would write a little note on there for them. And so here comes a young lady, and I knew she was having some struggles in her life, and I'm talking to you five girls right here. And I knew she had some struggles in her life, and so I wrote my name on her paper. And under that name, I wrote four words. One altar. Many trips. How many understood that? One altar. Many trips. It'd be nice if we take care of it once and for all, right now. But after the cows are yielded to God. Now there's a child to yield to God. And I will tell you that the yielding of the child is more difficult than the yielding of the cows. And if that's done, God comes and says, Nadale, I'm going to be merciful, mercy's free. Mercy is free. I am merciful. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father which is in heaven is merciful. I am a merciful God. I am a merciful Father. But Dale, I love you and I care for you and I have plans for your life. You've given this and I've received it. You've given that and I've received it. But Dale, I'm not finished with you. Are you willing, Dale? Are you willing to give me this, Dale? And the struggles of heart renew and that temptation to revert to the grasping and the holding and the defending. Want to arise in the heart, but it's a decision of faith. It's a walk by faith. It's a walk with God. It's a daily walk. It's a daily hearing his voice. It's a daily yielding to him. It's a daily understanding what he, that his will is perfect. It's a daily believing that what he has chosen cannot be perfected, cannot be improved. What he's chosen for my life is the best decision we could possibly make. We walk by faith and not by sight. And this surrender to God is a daily thing. It's a, week, it's, it's a, it, it's a continual thing, and we do it as we walk with God by faith. You see that as you study the life of Abraham. He surrendered point after point after point in his life. And Jacob couldn't learn that. He was over 90 years old when he learned that. He wasted an awful lot of time until he learned that. And you and I can learn that. It's a voluntary decision. And so it's a walk of faith. That we continually yield to the Lord, surrender to God. Let's just pray tonight. Could we just bow our heads and pray? Father in heaven, this evening we just want to ask you to help us to understand these words. Help us to understand your will. Help us to understand your plan for our lives. Help us to understand how these very first steps into the Christian life are lived and taken. As we transfer all these accounts from our own to yours. From our own control to yours. From our own prerogative to your divine will. And we take our life out of it so that your life can come into it. We take our excellence and our training and our discipline and our practice out of it 
that your omnipotence and omniscience can come and fill it, and your glory and your honor and your power and blessing can fill it. We have the wisdom tonight to know and the faith to know, though it's weak to, to, to believe, but it's better in your hands than it is in our hands, and better in your life than it is in our life, and better when you do it than when we do it, of oh God. We want to believe that tonight. We want to receive those words. We want it to take root in our heart. We want it to be mixed with faith tonight. We know that you will test us. We know that you will give us the opportunity to yield our hearts to you and say yes to God. At times in life and moments and crucial times when it's very critical and maybe, maybe we're hurt, but it will not harm. Maybe we'll look like a loss, but it will be eternal gain. And maybe others looking on will think that we, it looks foolish, but it's the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom from above, and not the wisdom of this world. So I ask you to speak to our hearts tonight, dear Father. Prepare us to receive these words, and may they be written upon the recesses of our being tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this back to Brother Elvin. And I do not think it would be wise for us to dismiss this meeting. If there was somebody here that would really like to take a definite step in your life towards surrender, and some issue in your life that's been struggling, you've been struggling with, and you want to surrender that. You would like to deal with that. You would like to pray about that. You would like to find help for that. You would like to learn how to trust God with that. I don't think it would be appropriate to close this meeting if we didn't give you an opportunity to do that. And so, Brother Elvin, as you come, please keep that in mind. And, 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 and the Lord will guide you in what words you say. May God bless you for your attention tonight and reverence in this assembly. God bless you.